Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord and welcome to the Word on Wednesday. What a wonderful, wonderful time we are having as we go through First Samuel, uh, studying under the theme transition to transformation. And we have just been having just a wonderful time going through and sharing the Word of God with you as well as learning ourselves what the Lord is doing, and it has just been some kind of blessing. And so tonight we want to continue. We want to um, begin uh, tonight we're in chapter 18, and if you just give me a second to kind of get myself together, because um, I'm trying to um, do two things at once. I'm trying to actually bring in the Periscope crowd. Um, I'm a little bit off. Go from there. Okay. Anyway, last week, I'm sitting here tonight, and I don't have all my tools in front of me or anything. Um, Anyway, let's just get started. Tonight, what we want to do is we want to um, we want to look at chapter eighteen. But before we look at chapter eighteen, uh, we want to do a quick review of seventeen, and then reestablish ourselves. We want to reestablish where we're going from there. Amen. So, and before we do anything else, because I'm moving. So fast, let's have a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. Father, today we confess that we are scattered for no reason at all. Um, We have plenty of time to prepare, and uh, we're not as prepared as we like to be. It's all to it. There's no excuse for it, and we repent of it right now because we realize that people really rely on this teaching and they want to hear from you. And so, Father, we ask that you would just help us, that you would help us today as we go forward in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we were in chapter 17, and in chapter 17 we know what happens. We That's the... That's one that all of us know, and that is that uh, that's the David and Goliath story. And we know that David kills Goliath. He moves forward in faith, and where Saul is faithless, David is being faithful, and he is he is a covenant man. He is a word man. He is the man that God, after God's own heart. And in being such, um, he is one who is going to. Uh, basically be transitioned into the kingship. Uh, He is going to occupy the office of king. 
And again, one of the things that we need to understand is there is a constant transitioning throughout the book of First Samuel. If we go back and we, we think about what we've done so far, what did, we, what did we see? We saw a nation that is being transformed, or let me restate that. We saw the 12 tribes who, were act, who have acted independently. Now all of a sudden they're being transformed into a nation, a nation that is led by a king. Now, again, um, it wasn't the way that God wanted it, but God knew that it would happen. We've also seen in this transition that the worship is being transformed. And we haven't got to the things that David did. As a matter of fact, we won't really get into them until 2 Samuel, if God says to teach 2 Samuel. Uh, worship is really established under David. Um, we'll get a chance to see um, not just David, but we see the transitioning of the priesthood how it's transitioning from Eli over to another line of priests. Uh, so we get a lot of transitions as God forms things. Now we've been through, 18, we're through 17 chapters, and we're getting to the 18th chapter, and something should be clicking inside of you by now when you talk about this transition to transformation. You see, we as Christians are constantly in transition. God is constantly molding us. God is constantly making us. And you know what we call that? We call that sanctification. That's what it is. It's sanctification. When we walk with God, God is constantly turning us into or transforming us in very image. Think about that for a second. God is transforming me into his very image. Say that right now. I am being transformed into the image of God. My behaviors reflect God. Everything about me is slowly but surely becoming like God. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I have the power to overcome sin and every situation, every obstacle by faith because God lives within me because he's given me his Spirit. Think about that for a few seconds. You see, sometimes as Christians, we get caught up in the day-to-day -day of life that we don't realize what, really, what God is really doing to us. Sometimes we get so caught up in what's happening to us, the pain of life, the things that, that we are fighting, the things that we are avoiding, the things that we don't understand. All of that stuff overwhelms us, the physical, the physical ailments and challenges that we have. And we don't understand that God is transforming us into his image and preparing us to be with him forevermore. 
That is something else. That is that's wonderful. And it's a spiritual transition. He's transforming our spirits. Stuff that used to really get on our nerves, we kind of look at it and laugh now. Why is that? Things that used to beat us down and tempt us, they, they don't tempt us anymore. Why is that? Our responses that used to be the responses of anger are now, well, we'll just see what God has to say. I am transitioning us. He's transforming us. He's sanctifying us and making us holy. The word says, be ye holy, because I'm holy. And so when we're reading 1 Samuel, we should look at these and all of the transitions and transformations that are taking place. And as we look at them, we need to say, hmm, what is God doing in my life? What is he stripping up? What what is he what is he tearing down? What is he building up? Those are all things that, that we need to consider. Amen? So last week again, uh it was David and Goliath. We saw you know how what David did. We learned a lot of things about that chapter. I don't really want to go through it again because we spent about two two and a half weeks almost in that chapter. I want to move on. So tonight I'm going to begin reading at um, at eighteen one, I'm going to begin my reading at eighteen one, and if if we've got to entitle this, let's title this simply responses. Let's give this the title responses because in this um, chapter, what we're going to see is a lot of responses, and, and as we go through, uh, I'll pick them up for you. Amen. So. Chapter 18, verse 1, if you've got pen and paper, you know, uh, make sure we've taken notes and so you can go back and also make sure that um, that you're asking God questions. Uh, you can call into me and ask me questions. I'm at 929-477-2304, 929-477-2304. But what's even more important than uh, asking me questions is asking questions of the Lord. Because God will answer you. God will answer you. I can answer some of the questions that you might have concerning um, in scriptural interpretation. But again, uh, even in that area, I'm limited when it, when it comes to that. And the limitations, I'm just a man, and I only know what I've studied and what God has revealed. But the person who gave this word, who spoke it, is your father. And you can go to your father you can ask him. The other thing I want to make sure that I do is that if we've got somebody out there who's listening who do, who does not know that that God died for them, that Jesus died for them, that he gave his son, and that they don't have to be in that state any longer, that they don't have to walk around here separate from God, that they can be a child of God. Right now, you're a child of the devil. If you have an if you have not accepted the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ, you're a child of the devil. And God never meant for you to be a child of the devil. He never meant for you to be a product of Satan. He always wanted you to belong to him. 
and what he did because of our sin. And, you know, just quickly, we sinned, and when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. And because we're separate, we've sinned also, um, there is a penalty that has to be paid. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. And so when we sin, when we violate the laws of God, the only thing that's going to satisfy that sin is our death. And it's an eternal death. It's a death that, that, that separates us from God through eternity. It's a death that involves being in a place that we label hell. And God never meant for you to be, be that way, nor did he mean for you to be abused and, and powerless on this earth. He, he gave a command in the garden, be fruitful and multiply, multiply and subdue the earth. And God meant for you to have a fruitful life. He meant for you to be an overcomer. But because we chose sin rather than God, because we disobeyed God, we're separated. And now's the time that you can connect with God because God said, you know what? I'm going to pay myself. I'm going to pay for what man did so man can come back to me. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And he died and gave himself for us. And his blood, his blood, hallelujah, it covers us. And it pays our sin penalty. And if we believe that God did that for us, if we believe that Jesus the son of, is the Son of God and that he paid the penalty for our sin and God gives him to us, as a gift, if we believe that and we can confess it and ask God, look, um, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If we can do that, if we can repent, if we can turn away from ourselves and turn to God and say, God, I want to be, I've been trying to do it on my own. Now, I need to be dependent on you. You've got to do this thing for me. You've already, you already gave me your son. I'm going to take your son, but I need you. And so I'm going to turn to you, and I'm going to th thoroughly rely on you to lead me and guide me. You know what God will do? God will forgive you your sins. He'll give you his son, and, and you get the gift. And you're able, you're able, able to be saved and have fellowship with him and to walk with him and to hear from him. And you're made alive with him. You see, right now, what we call, we call it in, 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 in the ministry, we said you're dead in your sins. But you become alive through your acceptance of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to do that, all you have to do is say, God, I need you. Please forgive me. Your son Jesus died for me, for my sins. I believe that. I ask him to come into my heart. I turn to you. Make me your child. And if you ask him that, he won't deny you. He won't deny you. But instead, he'll call you to himself. He'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. He'll lead you to a place where you can get fed uh, the word of God and you can understand how to walk with him. He'll do that just for you if you just give him your heart tonight. Amen. I pray that you I pray that you hear that tonight. I promise that I promised myself that I I wouldn't do another broadcast without extending an invitation 
for people to come to Christ because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to extend an invitation for people to come to Christ, and that's what we need to do tonight. Amen? So now I'll begin reading at um, chapter 18, verse 1 of 1 Samuel. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So, David is taken into the royal court into the service of Saul. Whereas before, he was going back and forth, back and forth. Now, he's no longer a resident at Jesse's house. He is now Saul's servant. And we know in previous chapters that one of the functions that David had was they had summoned him and to play the harp when Saul would become overcome with that evil spirit that was plaguing him. Because now remember, the Spirit of God has withdrawn himself from Saul, and the Spirit of God now resides in David. Remember that transition we went through there? And so Saul's response to David as a warrior is to bring him, first of all, into the palace. Into a, I don't know if he had a palace, but into the royal court, let's call it that. Jonathan's response is, or let me say one more thing about Saul. He brings him into the palace to serve Saul. Jonathan's response to David is he sees something in David and he knows something about David that has not been revealed yet. And so the first thing that it says is he loved him as he loved himself. He loves David. There is a genuine kinship there. Now, I know you're going to hear some, um, some people that will go to this, this, love, this, this thing and say, well, this uh, is an um, erotic homosexual love, and that's not true, and the text does not lend itself to that as a matter of fact. It, they are, the word that they use for love is ahab, the Hebrew word, and it has nothing to do with sexuality. There are other Hebrew words that could be used if that was the, the, the way the writer wanted us to see it. But what he wants us to see is the close kinship the, and the commitment, the desire to see a person um, prosper. You see, love is different. This, this, when you love somebody, you are committed to them. And that's one of the things that we see that goes on between uh, Jonathan and David. Jonathan has, is, admires David, number one, because he recognizes that David has that anointing. He recognizes that David is a man of God. He recognizes that David is someone whom, who God is using 
to bring freedom to the people of God. And there's a kinship there because that's who Jonathan is. Remember, Jonathan is the one who moves into battle based upon his faith in God. While his father is sitting up under a tree, fretting, Jonathan and his armor bearer a couple chapters ago, they go forward and says, who knows if God is going to save by many or, or he's going to save by few? Let's go see. Let's try God. This is what, I mean, this is literally what, what he does in this, in this instance. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing when brethren come together and they recognize that they have, that, that, the kin, that they have a kindred spirit, and the kindred spirit is not only the spirit of God, but the spirit of a work. And so they are as one. And Jonathan's reaction to David is not to say, okay, I'm the crown prince, and you're going to be the flunky. But instead, he surrenders and submits himself to David. How does he surrender? He takes off his robe. He takes off, he gives him his tunic, uh, his sword, his bow, and his belt. He gives all of his weapons, and literally, those are things, those, those symbols of power and royalty, and he passes them over to David. And he comes into a covenant relationship with him. So he suborns himself to it, to, to David, and gets into a covenant relationship with him. Wow. Now, one of the things that you can probably see in this passage is the fact that, that you know, uh, Saul's not doing this. Saul's not doing this at all. Look at, look at, because uh, uh, I want to, this is a pretty difficult passage to to really teach because there's so much movement. And so I'm going to try to, to keep it moving but be as detailed as possible. And tonight I'll probably put a lot of things on your mind that you'll have to go out and explore yourself. But the bottom line becomes one of, of this is a meaty chapter, and what we're seeing is responses. Okay, so let me go to verse 5. Whatever, whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs and with tamarinds and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David's his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain, refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, a jealous eye on David. Look at the response of, of the people, first of all, to David. The people are pleased with David. The people, because David goes out and he does 
what he is told. He does it so he does it so successfully that Saul promotes him over the officers and he gets a high rank. And so rather than people who you know how it is on your job, sometimes you know, you somebody's been there ten years and then all of a sudden a new person comes in and they do a really good job and they get promoted over the people that have been there a long time and the first thing they show up is why are they promoting him or why are they promoting her? I've been here this long and blah 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 blah. The first thing that happen normally happens in a situation like that is that people will respond in jealousy. But David is is anointed and David has this spirit about him. And David is celebrated by the people, and it pleases the people as as Saul's officers. They're pleased. Yeah, he can lead us. I wonder if it had any, has anything to do with the fact that, um, you know, Saul wasn't a great leader. I wonder if it had, any, it had anything to do with that. Wonder if it had anything to do with the fact that you know David is a man of the covenant and he believes God so much and he believes that whenever I go out I'm supposed to win because that's what the Word of God says. Hmm, that's something to think about. But now look at the response of Saul. Saul, in this passage, what does it say? Uh, let me see. Singing. Saul is angry, Saul is jealous, and he says, I'm going to keep an eye on David. Because he sees, now, Saul should know already, Saul should know this already, that the kingdom is going to be taken from him. And although the, the this is conjecture on my part, I wonder if Saul was actually concerned about legacy, and handing the kingdom over to Jonathan. I wonder, you know, doesn't say he was. And later on, he'll say something about it, but um, I wonder if, if that's what he's concerned about. Because, you know, Saul was, Saul really was stuck on himself. Because remember, uh, a couple chapters ago, after victory, he was out building a monument to himself. That's something that we need to think about. Consider that. But what we see is Saul's response is anger and jealousy. Let's go to verse 10. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So, got a problem with this one. We've got a problem with this passage. Look at this. It says, he was prophesying in his house. And when I first saw that, I'm like, wait a minute, hold it. An evil spirit comes, and he's prophesying in his house. And the evil spirit comes upon him, and he's prophesying in his house. And the other thing is, is, is the evil spirit from God. 
But I still have a problem with that because, again, the reason why I have a problem with it is because I believe that, that the actual, that passage portrays um, what happens to a man who is without God. What happens to a man. And so it's God withdrawing his protection from Saul and allowing him to be tormented by the devil because he won't believe God. He has rejected God. And so God has said, okay, you rejected me. I've rejected you from being king. I've rejected you from being who I anointed you to be. That's what I, I that, that's the way, I, you know, I believe we need to think about that because there's some problems. I just have, you know, there, from a theological standpoint, God is all good. And so to say that something evil came from him is, is to say that he allowed it, I, I can accept that better. And I think that it sits better with all of us. Um, but the other part was he was prophesying. Now, when I think of prophecy, I always associate that word with the utterances that come from God. And so I think when I look at the word at first, I'm like, how can an evil spirit come from God? And then all of a sudden, he is saying the things of God. He is foretelling or forthtelling or alumnating or blessing the people uh, with a word of prophecy. And then I went in and I found out what that what they're actually saying. He was actually not prophesying, but instead he was making, he was going through the, um, how should I put it? He was going through the motions, the physical motions of a prophet. And apparently what the prophets did was they were, did all this herking and jerking and all that kind of stuff, similar to some of the stuff we see today, going through all of these machinations, these, these physical manifestations, of bodily physical manifestations. Uh, and, that was, and that's also the word that they use for prophecy. So basically what he was having, and it, it all makes sense when you read it in that context, because when the evil spirit came on him, he would have one of them nut fits. That's the now that's the way I have it in my mind. He would just go nuts. He would just go nuts, and he would go into a dark place, and he would be evil. It might have been something like right out of that Exorcist movie, where he was just manifest. I think the young kids call it. He was manifesting, you know, something like that. But the bottom line is. He just went and he was just going nuts. And they had summoned David to play for him, to, you know, help this, help him soothe his spirit and get get in his right mind. Again, um one of the things that, that, that we that we think they could have happened is from a from a physical standpoint that he was uh that he was schizophrenic. That he was having one of those fits or that he could have been um what is it? Um, a manic that he was having one of those manic fits. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, schizophrenia or manic, but, I mean, they just change. 
when you have somebody who's manic, a manic or a schizophrenic, I mean, one minute they're sitting there and they're talking to you and they're, you know, they're as coherent as can be and, you know, as sane as can be in the next minute, they nuttier than a fruitcake. I mean, you know, they might think they're the Pope or they might think they're Superman and ready to go leap off a building or anything. But when that spirit would come upon Saul, they would summon David and, you know, David's got to play for them, this guy. And I'm like, you know, if you think about it, can you imagine being summoned every time somebody going nuts? And that's the way I think about it. You know, I'm, I don't want to be around nobody nuts anyway because I, you know, no. But this is what's going on with this guy. He is having a, and let me, let me say it in, a very, very, in my own common vernacular, this guy is having a nut fit. And during this, this this episode, he tries, he gets his spear because he's mad and he, 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 he's got that jealous eye. And so he decides, I'm going I'm to I'm kill him. I'm going to kill him. And so he takes a, a spear and he tries to run the spear through David to pin him to the wall. That's exactly what he's trying to do. And David is able to get away from him. And the author says in verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. This is the response of Satan. This is the response of those who are being plagued by a demon. Remember Jesus comes up in the land of the gatherings and he comes up and that guy he says, uh, he says, what have I to do with you, son of David? And then they, uh, the, the situation with the pigs, where the, the pig, or where, where he says, my name is Legion, and, you know, because uh, there's thousands of us. And he said, don't torture us. Let us go into the pigs. Remember that? Huh. They know the spirit of God. They don't want nothing to do with the spirit of God. And I believe that what's aggravating Saul about David more than anything else is the spirit of God within David. And it makes him afraid because he realized that David is walking in the power and the might of the Lord. So let's keep going. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but it left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. And everything he did, he had great success. This writer almost sounds like Donald Trump when he's writing. You know, everything is amazing and so this and great that. And, and this is really, these adjectives really describe what David is, what, what God is doing. He's not just successful. He not only has success, he has great success. Because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw, saw how successful he was, what's his response again? He was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David. Why? Because he led them in their campaigns. Remember the kind of king that the people asked for when, when God gave them Saul? They wanted somebody to lead them out into battle. Saul, though he had some successes, without God's spirit, is no longer capable. 
he no longer has that 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 the the spirit of God with him when he goes out in the battle. David has the spirit of God, and so he's successful. But there's something I want you to notice about David early on. David is doing whatever Saul told him to do. This man tried to kill him, but David is still obedient. I'm going to come back to that. Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Miriam. I give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. But David said to Saul, Who am I, and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel, that I should become the king's son-in-law? So when the time came for Merab, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel of Mahola. Hmm. Got a problem with that, too. Why do I have a problem with that? Because Saul has gone back on his word. What do you mean Saul went back on his word? Well, remember what Saul promised the person who would kill Goliath? Didn't he promise him that person who kills Goliath, his daughter, and that didn't he also promise that the family would be exempt from taxes in the kingdom? Well, David killed Goliath. How come he didn't just give him the daughter? Why does David not take the daughter? Because there is an expectation of a dowry, a bridal payment. And David is basically saying, wait a minute, I got no money to pay for this. I'm poor. I am a servant. I am a servant. I cannot become the king's son-in-law simply because... I am not royalty. I don't have that kind of money, and so I shouldn't be in that kind of union. That's what David is saying. But what David could have said is, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna take her, and I paid you already because, and, and you're supposed to because I killed the lion. But David's not saying that. He just basically says, nope, can't do it. Can't do it. Don't have what it takes. Now Saul's daughter. I'm at verse twenty. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, was in love with David, and when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him, and so that, that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, Now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Then Saul ordered his attendants, Speak to David privately. And say, look, the king is pleased with you, and his attendants all like you, now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David, but David said, do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. When Saul's servant told him what David had said, Saul replied, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Do you see this pattern? He's constantly trying to maneuver 
David into a position so he can get him killed. He couldn't kill him himself. So now he says, I'm going to put him in a position where the enemy will kill him. Oh, wow. Just see what happens when you operate in fear. Because throughout this whole passage, you're going to see one common theme when it comes to Saul. Saul is afraid. Saul is afraid of David. And when you walk in fear, let me tell you what happens. You walk, you ne- first of all, you never walk alone. Because with fear, fear going to bring, we've seen fear's friends throughout this. Fear bring jealousy. We see fear bring anger. We see fear bring out Saul's flesh. So when you're operating in fear, you're operating from your flesh. You're operating from the will of man. And what does the word say? That which is flesh is flesh. Paul says, in my flesh I find no good thing. And when we talk about flesh, we're talking about literally the will of man, the heart of man, the inside of man, that, that, that thing in man that is evil. We're not talking about the skin. We're talking about the desires and the will of man when we're talking about the flesh. And so manly desires void of God are being manifested by fear. And that's why God tells us, fear not. Don't even think about fearing. Because he understands that when we operate in fear, we're going to operate based on our flesh. Our reaction is never going to be the reaction of Jonathan. It's going to be the reaction of Saul. We will never bow when we're fearful. We will never get into covenant relationship when we're fearful. We will never love when we're fearful. It is, it's, all, it's going to take faith. And what we're seeing here in this chapter, just if you just contrast the response of Jonathan, who walks in love and walks by faith, believing God, with the response of his father who walks in fear. He thinks he's doing something. He already knows he done lost it. But he's still trying to hold on to it. I don't want to get to the application yet before I get to the end of the chapter. There's a lot there. And I know those of you who are listening are really, really you know, if you're really if you're really listening and really trying this word on yourself, you're seeing a lot of things that that are going to bring you deliverance. Because many of us walk in fear every day. If you got questions or comments, concerns, uh, you can call me at 929-477-2304. 929-477-2304. Amen. So. From his flesh, he plots how to kill David. When the attendants told, I'm at verse uh, 26. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought their foreskins 
and presented the full number to the king so that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter Michal in marriage. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. Saul goes from bringing him in David into the to the uh, to the royal court as a servant. David transitions from being the servant of Saul to the enemy of Saul. I'll need you to think about that for a second. Saul, the Lord's anointed, the one who God's spirit resides in, is now considered an enemy of the person who is being tormented and who is walking in fear. That's something. I need you to take a look at our lives right now. First of all, I'm going to ask a series of questions. And the first question is, uh, do you respond to the people of God in faith like a Jonathan, or do you respond in fear like a Saul? If the, if the Spirit of God is within you, if the Spirit of God is within you, you should be responding in love. One of the problems that we have in in the, Christ, the, the community of Christ today is that there are too many fearful Christians. There are too many Christians who are fearful, who are not walking in faith, because faith, when you walk in faith, when you walk committed to God, you're walking in love. When you are a spirit-filled individual, you respond to people who are, well, actually, you respond to all people in love. I think that a lot of times the reason why we as Christians respond like Saul respond is because we're scared we're going to lose something. Um, I've gone to some churches and people have just been, ooh, just been nasty. And the reason why they're nasty is because um, they think they're going to lose their position, they're going to lose their status, they're going to lose their stardom. And where did we get that from? Because none of us are stars, all of us are servants. So we need to cast that out. We need to get rid of that spirit of fear. I believe this is the lack of unity that is evident within the church today is based upon the fact that we're insecure. We're, we're like Saul. We say one thing, but we do another. Now, the good news is, is that's not everywhere because there are some churches 
that I get a chance to go to where, my goodness, they love you so much as like, like they're pouring syrup on you or something like, hey, hey, back off, back off, it's too much. I'm overwhelmed with your love. Shake my hand and let me go. Don't hug me like that. Come on now. I, I'm glad. With y'all. You know, you almost want to say, y'all don't get visitors often, do y'all? <laughs> you know, that's really what you want to say. But that's a great place to be in. When you really love somebody and are committed to them, you're ready to serve them. Look at Jonathan again. Jonathan is ready to hand over everything to him. What is what is what does the actions of Jonathan remind you of? Jonathan reminds me so much of Christ, who is willing to surrender everything. What does it say in Philippians? He thought it not robbery. He Christ takes off his robe, just like Jonathan is taking his robe. He surrenders all his royalty. He surrenders all his rights to come down here to die for us. Now, if Jesus could do that for us, why can't we do that for one another? Why can't we take off these titles and these positions and give up these seats and and, 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 and stop being so focused in on ourselves and begin to focus in on the needs of others. What does the Bible say? Esteeming others higher than ourselves? Lifting someone else up? That's a real servant. And Jonathan shows forth the love of God in his response to David. Why can't we be happy when somebody else gets a promotion? Or why can't we be happy when 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 somebody God blesses somebody in any way? Why must jealousy raise its head and say, "Look at the Lord giving him that. He he don't even deserve that. He he did this and he did that. I don't know why this ain't happening for me." Well, maybe if you correct your attitude, you know God would do something for you, like Jonathan. But look at but look look at look look here's a principle that we want to look at for fearfulness. Look at first John one eight. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. I love the way the, the King James says it, because fear has torment. Fear opens the door for torment in your life. How many of you are losing sleep because you're scared about something that's going on at work? Because the rumor's going around and they're going to make some cuts and they're going to cut your department. Or, or how many of you are fearful because in your, in your church life because somebody has come along and they seem to be more gifted or they seem to be more popular than you, and so now you feel like you got to stake out your territory because you cover the ground you walk. Mm, mm, mm. Well, how many of you right now are, are scared about something that you think might even be going on in your homes? That, that those broad shoulders and that that thick chest that you once had have now turned into a uh, 
as they say, now you got this fat gut and you can't move like a young like you did when you were younger and you think you see your wife looking at Mr. Slim Goody over there. And so now you're scared that she's gonna run off and leave you for for that 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 younger, fitter looking guy. It brings torment, don't it? And you say things and all of a sudden the jealousy in you pops up. That's what fear does. But if God gave you that woman, God God is not an Indian giver. And chances are, chances are she ain't studying that little slim dope joker. Cause she knows she live if she live in a cold climate, she knows that big old belly come in handy in the wintertime. Keep her warm. And I'm making a joke now, just to you know, more or less just let you know that that God is not an Indian giver. And that Satan is playing on your fears. On your job he's playing on your fears. In your home he's playing on your fears. In your church he's on your fears because he knows that if he could get you to give in to fear that you won't walk by faith that you won't trust God and getting you to doubt God and getting you to not trust God and to be a faithless individual rather than faithful is the key to him opening up the doors to bring in his friends anger and jealousy and flesh and scheme and, and all kinds of ill, just all kind of mess into your life. He can, If he can get you to open that door, uh, the door of distrust, boy, he can get in there and he can make a fool of you and he can mess you up and rob you of, of your position in God and rob you of your relationship with God. But the word says, perfect love cast out fear. Perfect love cast out fear. And so what I'd have you to do even right now is to begin to go through your life and find fear. Find out what you, just ask yourself, what am I scared of? And why am I scared of it? Am I scared I'm about to be broken? That's why I don't give. Am I scared that that, that, that my husband's going to run off with somebody else and so that's why I cling to him like that? Am I scared I'm about to lose my job? And so that's why, you know, I, I keep everything undercover and won't, won't let nobody know what I'm doing and all of that kind of stuff. Are my reactions the reactions of one who is going to show forth the love of God? Am I generous? Am I kind? Am I submissive? Am I welcoming? Do I show love? Or am I scheming all the time? like Saul, trying to kill off any and everybody that seems like it threatens my existence. That's really what this chapter is about. That's really how we can relate. When you walk into in the anointing of God, when you are anointed, when you are spirit-filled, you, number one, you trust God so much that you can obey. You know what God has said to you. You know what God has promised you. You are in a relationship with God. And God will withhold no good thing from you. So you ain't got to go out here and, and 
and, and it's summertime, so I might as well say, and show your behind trying to entice some man. You ain't got to go out here and take off your money and spend it on some woman trying to entice her or, or go out and get yourself in all kind of debt trying to buy a car that you can't afford to impress some woman. Uh-uh. You have to go along with evil schemes. You have to dream up evil schemes. And I'm talking to myself now because sometimes, let me tell you something, I want God to do something to somebody, and I will allow myself to dream up some flat-out evil. Yes, I will. But I have to repent of it and say, God, uh-uh, that ain't none of you. That's me. That's my feet. I'm operating in fear rather than faith. And you said you take care of that, and you said that you keep me in perfect peace if my mind was stayed on you. So guess what? I'm finna worship you. I'm finna get with you, leaving that mess alone. Perfect love will cast out that fear, and that's what you want to do tonight. That is really how do you respond? What is your response? What is your response to? You know, David is a type of Messiah. What is your response to God? Will you trust and obey? Will you deal with your fear by casting it out and relying on God and walking in faith and obedience? Will you be like Saul and come up with some kind of, you know, come up with your own devices to deal with what you perceive to be a problem? And you know what? You will never be able to overcome that problem simply because if God anoints it to happen, if God appoints it to happen, there's nothing that you can do. So you, so you best just walk with God. Well, that's all that we've got time for. Let's end in prayer. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for uh, showing us what the proper response to you is. We thank you that just as David responded in, in faith and obedience, that we can we should respond in faith and obedience. Just as Jonathan responded by surrendering all that he had to David, even tonight, we surrender ourselves to you. We give it all to you. And we come into covenant agreement with you, O oh God, that you are our Lord and our King. Now fill us with your spirit and allow us to obey your word that we might be We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.